Welcome to episode three of TASA's Inspiring Leaders podcast and part two of our series on vulnerable populations. I'm Eric Simpson, and today we'll explore how increased economic vulnerability and the stress of the pandemic affects all students and adults. We'll start with the second half of my conversation with legendary education thought leader and best-selling author Ruby Payne. We'll learn about the effects on child abuse reporting with Research and Strategy Senior Manager Lindsay Jordan from Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas, and we'll see how Frisco's outreach and virtual counseling is helping address those students in crisis. Finally, we'll talk with Shelby McIntosh, Managing Partner at Education Elements, about their work in trauma-informed leadership. First, here's Kevin Brown. Hello, friends. This is Kevin Brown again, and welcome to a continuation of our podcast on meeting the needs of our most vulnerable population. Uh, you know, our society is going through a trauma right now, um, each of us individually, and certainly the 5.4 million children that we serve. And that puts a huge burden on all of us as leaders to make sure that we're doing the best we can. Uh, that starts with taking care of yourself, your family and your friends, uh, your staff, and also trying to meet the needs of all of the students uh, that you serve. Um, so we're excited about this podcast. And we hope that it's helpful to you and being able to have the resources that you need to do those things. Uh, you know, we don't learn when things are easy. We learn the best when things are challenging and difficult. And, you know, this time is ripe with opportunity for us to be learning and to be at our best. And so I appreciate all of the work that you're doing to be the best leader you can be and to learn from this experience as much as you can. Uh, we know our students are vulnerable right now. We know that there are traumas that they're facing. We know that there's potential abuse that they're going through. We know that there are learning needs that they have. So thank you for attending to those needs as much as you can. God bless you. Let us know if we can help in any way and enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. We had so much to discuss with Dr. Payne last week that we barely scratched the surface of how the economic stressors impact the mental well-being of children and adults. We hope you enjoy part two of our discussion. But we also have now people who were not considered to be vulnerable and overnight have become vulnerable. And so um, th these are, are groups who are not used to uh, being assisted. In that, in that same way by that societal safety net, or at least not in such a clear way. So right. what is the emotional toll? That's a shock. It's a shock in every way, okay? Because you, you had, you, there's an invisible level of protection you have when you're at that level. So that means you have to go to the hidden rules of poverty, okay? So one of the first things that happens is this, your time now. See, what you do with your time determines what you know, okay? So if you've never spent any time at, pover at poverty, you don't know any of those rules, okay? Well, the rules of poverty are this, okay? Number one, bartering keeps you alive. So you gotta learn how to barter, okay? Number two, everything is about relationships. Who do you know? What do they have? How can you trade? How can you barter? What do you do? Some relationships become transactional. And see, there's three, four hidden, three hidden rules about money in middle class that you can't use anymore when you don't have a job. One of the hidden rules is I don't ask you for money and you don't ask me. That rules out the window. Number two, uh, you never tell people how much money you have or what you have. That rules out the window. Okay. Number three, uh, you never ever quit a job until you have another job. Well, that rules out the window because you don't have a job now. Okay. And um, 
So a lot of the rules that people follow no longer work anymore. I think maybe eventually there will be more empathy. Well, uh, let's hope so, right? That, that people uh, suddenly can put themselves in the shoes of others where it really was just too far of an extension to, to really truly imagine. You could sympathize, but, but maybe not empathize. What do you think, um, I, I, there's a lot uh, of uncertainty around when we'll go back to school and back to normal and what normal will actually mean. So I'm, I'm not really thinking about that as much as, what do you think the reverberations for students and families will be in Texas through these next couple of years and how will schools um, need to be prepared for that? Well, one of the things is they're gonna to have to have better language and vocabulary to talk about emotional issues, okay? Right now, we don't give teachers any prep at all in that, okay? And one of the things we've done is we've done a lot of work around trauma-informed care, but we haven't given teachers strategies. We've told them what it is, okay? But they don't have tools to deal with it. They need just vocabulary for emotional realities, and that's why I wrote the book Emotional Poverty, simply so people would have a vocabulary to talk about it, okay? And I wrote a sequel to it that will be out in August, which is called Emotional Poverty Book Two. But that has a chapter in it about um, how, how stress resides in adults. Most people don't know. It's called secondary stress syndrome for the adults who serve children like this. Most people don't know. There's an app on your phone that will tell you exactly how much stress physically your body is under, okay? And you can actually track and know, and there are act exercise, physical things you can do to actually uh, change the amount of oxygen in your autonomic nervous system. So, and your autonomic nervous system is what triggers a fear response a lot of times. And so one of the things, if you know some of those things, there is a whole chapter in there on this new book on how you can watch people's body to know when their bodies are in emotional distress, okay? Even though they can't, they can't uh, verbalize it, okay? So there's all kinds of tools out there, but we're going to have to do that for our educators, okay? Because they're, they're gonna be dealing with a huge world of it, not only for their kids, but for them, okay, themselves. The second thing I think is that we're gonna to have to be more realistic about how we assess academic achievement and I hope we break away from some of the institutional rigidity. There's so much institutional rigidity right now. Like, for example, at secondary, in most states, you have to have 24 credits to graduate from high school, but 18 of those credits are defined for you already. Okay, so if you have a skill, a talent for cooking, or you have a talent for music, or you have a talent for this or that, that's largely ignored, okay? Uh, and talent is defined very narrowly as a STEM thing. Science, technology, okay. And so the bottom line is, uh, we are going to have to rethink our institutional rigidity because they're no longer in a routine. Their lives have become very destructured. So the issue is how will we get structure of any kind back in order? And when you face life or death, then you think, and you face hunger, you think about um, life very differently.
Well, the, the initial projections in the in the pandemic, if nothing were to be done, put the death toll in the millions, you know, one one to two million. And so, in, in a very real way, other other disasters like Harvey, that was regional, 9/11, um, it was scary, but it but it but I'm not sure that individuals felt as deeply that they were in physical danger. Um, here, you, you can't help but feel um, that physical danger, and that's that's got to have a, uh, uh, an effect, right? Right. But let me just say, there's one resource that you can have no matter what, and that is hope and faith and spiritual resources. And in the hard research, resiliency is related to spiritual resources. You know, it it will be over sometime and the sun will shine again and the thing is can you keep that hope and faith in front of you um every day and can you say to yourself we know that adverse circumstances always build character and build strength but the bottom line is um it is a resource that no one can take away from you. Uh, and Frankel said it best, I think, in Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, no one can take away from you how you choose to react to your circumstance. And I think that for me, that is such a gift. Uh, it's a resource that cannot be taken away from you. That was Ruby Payne, best-selling author of Emotional Poverty, and she'll be releasing the anticipated follow-up, Emotional Poverty Book 2, this August. Visit her site, www.ahaprocess.com, for links to her online trainings, digital live events, and, of course, her many books. The ripple effects of schools closing has been felt across the state and presents a particular hardship to those students for whom home is not a safe place. As anticipated, child abuse report numbers are down. And public educators are more important than ever as a lifeline for victims of domestic violence. Our guest, Lindsay Jordan, is a research and strategy senior manager with the Children's Advocacy Center of Texas. She joined us from her home in Cedar Park for this interview. Uh, Lindsay Jordan, thank you for joining the Inspiring Leaders podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Thanks for having us. Can you begin by telling us a little bit about the work that you do with the Children's Advocacy Center? Yes, so I work for Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas, which is the statewide membership association that supports the 71 local children's advocacy centers or CACs throughout the state. So local CACs are involved in supporting and coordinating the efforts of the multidisciplinary teams that investigate child abuse cases. Children's advocacy centers are still open and are still providing services um, during this time. Of course, a lot of things have changed. You know, there are some steps that are being taken to make sure that we're minimizing contact between people in offices. COVID-19 aside, um, children's advocacy centers regularly work closely with their local school districts to try and provide support um, in the form of community education. So a lot of school districts have partnered with their children's advocacy center to bring in presentations about um, recognizing and reporting for teachers, as well as presentations on body safety, um, you know, safe touch, unsafe touch, and things like that for students. And so, you know, during this time, if school districts, um, you know, have questions or concerns about how they can be providing any of that same type of education and support 
um, to their students or to their staff, they can certainly reach out to their local children's advocacy center. Remind us a little bit about the role that schools play in uh, the reporting of child abuse. We know that during the school year, reports that come from school personnel make up a very large number of the reports of suspected abuse and neglect that are made to the DSPS hotline. And what we're seeing now is that reports to that hotline are way down, likely because of the fact that kids are out of school and don't have as much access to the teachers, coaches, and school counselors who usually account for such a significant portion of those reports. Um, and so in the current situation that we're seeing, you know, we know parents are dealing with a lot. They may be working from home while kids are also home and they're trying to homeschool. Stress levels are high. People are feeling isolated. And so we do have some concerns about the possibility of abuse increasing and at the same time being more likely to go undetected because kids aren't around these other adults who are likely to report their concerns. I think now more than ever, the children need you to be paying attention to those warning signs and making those reports when necessary. Can you tell us about some districts out there that have been successful in addressing these concerns with students during the pandemic shutdown? You know, districts can get creative about the type of services that their counselors can provide during this time. So a lot of um, districts have their counselors checking in more frequently with kids and even with parents. Um, some counselors are offering support to parents and even conducting virtual trainings for coping with stress during this time online and um, even offering some virtual support groups. One thing we have heard about is that some districts are being pretty proactive about identifying kids who um, are maybe thought to be at risk or some kids that they had concerns about before this all happened and making it a point to check in on those families a little bit more frequently. We're starting to see um, districts put guidelines into place for tracking down students that aren't showing up to some of those virtual learning sessions or check-ins. And so, um, you know, they are making lists of those kids that are more difficult to reach or find and trying to contact them in different ways. Um, so not just, you know, contacting the student, but also contacting the parent and then maybe even moving down that emergency contact list if you need to. A lot of districts are leaning on their counselors more to offer support, not only to students, but also to parents who might be struggling and just needing someone to talk to. Um, I know in Seguin ISD, their district has implemented this district-wide helpline that students and parents can call if they need help with an assignment or if they need help using the virtual learning platform, which I'm sure many districts have done. Um, but they're really anticipating that, that, that those calls are going to turn more to students and parents who are just needing help with mental health concerns um, and needing some extra support in that area. So in anticipation of that, they're staffing that helpline with counselors to help prepare for that. What this is really about is district leadership just coming together to bring awareness to the issue and then putting a plan in place for how their district can take steps to proactively try and make an impact on helping kids stay safe, either by offering support services to families to reduce some of that stress and reduce some of that risk for parents. Um, and then, of course, as always, you know, recognizing the signs and reporting those concerns. We've heard directly from teachers that these messages come best when it's from their district and campus leadership. So I think it's really important that leaders are aware of that and that they're receiving this information and trickling it down. How have the reporting requirements um, changed or have they changed uh, during this, this pandemic? We really like to remind 
um, everyone, teachers included, that you, you don't have to be sure. Um, you just have to be, you just have to suspect something is wrong um, and make that report in good faith. And it's really the responsibility of DFPS to do the investigating. That they are still going out and investigating those cases and making those face-to-face -face contacts when that's what they need to do to keep children safe. So um, yes, they are still operating, they're still investigating cases. And so if a report is made that meets their criteria for an investigation, that case will be investigated. Lindsay Jordan, thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leaders podcast. And uh, we hope you stay well and, and stay safe. Okay, thank you again so much for having me, Eric. You guys too. That was Lindsay Jordan, Research and Strategy Senior Manager for the Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas. CATX has put together some wonderful resources for students, parents, teachers, and community members. You can find links on our website. Just click on our COVID-19 resource page or visit them directly at www.catx.org. After my discussion with Lindsay Jordan, I had the chance to ask Wes Cunningham, Chief Academic Officer from Frisco ISD, to let us know how his district is addressing these issues. Do you have things in place that um, help people who may be experiencing uh, violence at home or, or safety issues at home uh, to get in touch with uh, somebody at the school? Or is that is that mainly through the teachers and the principals in, in prior relationships? We tried really hard initially to make sure that the first thing we did was continue to keep those relationships and connections with the, the adults in their schools open so that came up front so yes we hope that the students will reach out to their counselors or teachers that they have they have a relationship with but we also have a couple of systems in place they can call in there's an app they can use on on any device they can report um, things things of that nature that they need um, and then um, again getting up front with their virtual counseling really really early on helped us with, with that effort um, i think that uh, one of the things that we've work with our, our teachers. And I, I mentioned asynchronous synchronous a few minutes ago. One of the things that, that has been, we, we've done some optional things with morning meetings and things of that nature. Um, the way our schedule still sets up, um, we have a very a dedicated time to social emotional learning. Um, the first of the week um, allows students to, to learn some of those skills for self-regulation, um, self-motivation and things of that nature and self-advocacy. And so it's really trying to work with students continuing on that because you're right, they're not at school. They don't have that face-to-face -face interaction necessarily like they did. So uh, with the strength of the relationships that were already built and the, uh, the avenues for students to reach out at a moment's notice, um, we, we've still seen some of those things, unfortunately. We believe that we've been able to respond to and support a number of students during this time. Our final guest is Shelby McIntosh, Managing Partner at Education Elements. Shelby has been a high school teacher, worked in education policy, and has consulted with districts on community perception and communication. Equity has been a through line for Shelby throughout her career, and she was in the middle of researching trauma-informed leadership practices when this pandemic began. She quickly realized how intimately this work would connect. Shelby McIntosh, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. Um, wanted to, to really explore some of the, your work in trauma-informed leadership. Um, what takeaways uh, have really informed um, your work and, and now apply to this COVID-19 crisis? 
Yeah, and thanks for asking that question, Eric. I think our idea was we'd have some trauma-informed leadership competencies, you know, that we could uh, like put some research behind and really test out and study. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll get there. But I think we're at the point now where um, we are, we're really just trying to group the practices that we're seeing some success in um, and, and talking about those and, and learning more about how they're working and how they're not. And so there's four that we're really talking about a lot now, and I'll kind of, I'll talk you through those. Um, but the first one we're, we're framing, we're calling uh, creating regulation. Um, and really what that means is when there's when there's a traumatic event or when something completely changes our reality, people look to leaders for signals about how they should act, what their behavior should be, what their new normal should be. Um, and I think there's a there's an opportunity there for leaders to say, it's okay for you to take care of yourself and to make time for yourself. Uh, a great, <clears throat> excuse me, way that our, our CEO actually is doing this right now. We have a team member who's leading um, uh, meditation hours during lunch hour every Wednesday. And just as an opportunity to, you know, again, help us focus on our well-being during this weird time. And he shows up for those um, in a way that signals to us, okay, it's, it's okay that we're taking time out of our day to really focus on our own mental health and well-being. Um, and I think there are ways that leaders can show up. We're going back to that point of presence um, when it comes to establishing a new normal and making people feel like it's okay that my life is changing right now um, and modeling that for their teams. So uh, creating regulation, helping establish like uh, a model for the new norm is one way. The other way, you know, we know relationships are really important in any time of leadership. Um, but we really can't overexpress how important prioritizing relationships is right now or really in any time of trauma. Um, I think the best way we're seeing leaders do that now is carving out time, prioritizing time to connect with their teams virtually, making sure that they're seeing their faces, um, leaving that time unstructured so that they can just talk about whatever they need to. Um, but making sure there's that chance. I think we forget when we're in a physical office how much of that informal interaction does for our relationships and connection. Just like having a cup of coffee together or eating lunch together, passing each other in the hallway and talking about our weekends doesn't happen when we're at home. Um, so creating a really intentional space for that, I think is one way we're seeing leaders um, do a really good job of prioritizing those relationships. Um, it's also really easy, I don't know about you, Eric, but like there's just so much going on right now. I think it's easy to let like team meetings on your calendar fall towards the bottom and not show up for those. So like your team meets and maybe you think it's okay if I'm not there for that one this week, I've got all this other stuff going on. I think the examples we're seeing is like, it is critically important that those are the times that leaders show up and are present um, for things like that, even if it doesn't seem so important. Um, Last two, the, the third one is we're kind of calling trust and transparency, uh, which I think are really obvious words right now, but I think it's less obvious how you establish those when we're, again, physically separated from one another. Um, but one of the, the things we keep seeing in examples that seems to really, that seem to be really paying off is explaining the why behind decisions, um, which can be so hard right now because decisions are tough and um, <laughs> scary. And um, as someone who is responsible for communicating a lot of our internal decisions, I sometimes hesitate to 
explain a lot of the why because I feel like it opens up room for debate or like for someone to disagree with why the decision was made. Um, but honestly, it, it just creates such an op opportunity for transparency and for people to, to trust and to feel like you trust them enough to explain the why creates that sort of like two-way um, um, trust exchange, I think. Um, so we've been really trying to do that more. And I think I'm seeing a lot of leaders too. Um, Charles Dupree had a great video uh, the other day on Twitter where he was saying to his seniors, you know, we're, this is what we're doing with graduation right now. And here's why. Um, I think it, it, it showed a lot of trust that he was willing to expose like his decision making and explain that decision um, in such a public way. Um, Last one. Um, I know this is a lot, but this this is my favorite one. <laughs> we we talk about um, voice choice and empowerment. There's a ton of research out there about how trauma. One of the biggest ways it stresses people out is it takes away their their control over the situation, like personally, professionally, um, and that that like loss of control is and and creates so much stress for people. Um, and I'm seeing leaders look for ways to give them that control back by giving them more choice and their options, um, finding opportunities to say, you know, here's five ways you could do this, or here's, you know, three ways you could spend your time today, or here's a myriad of projects we need done, you know, which one do you feel most empowered to take on? Um, that I think gives them a better sense of control, at least in their work. Um, and then giving them a voice, asking for feedback about decisions that are made, asking them what is what their biggest challenges are right now. You know, not only is the office affected, but um, everyone is dealing with this at home. We, we have a completely new set of um, stressors that are that are going on as we adjust to having um, everybody, including our kids, working from home. And so, you know, how can um, leaders bolster the connections between members so that everyone feels that support from the team? Um, particularly knowing that those things going on at home are going are gonna to detract. What I've seen in terms of grace that we're offering families and the, the way that we are integrating our lives and work right now is probably the biggest thing that I hope um, for, for the sake of all of us that we figure out how to maintain post-COVID. Um, I think it is, like I, I talked about, like establish, establishing regulation and creating new norms. Um, I'm seeing a lot of leaders really give grace to families or to parents who have children at home, allowing them to integrate their lives in different ways. And even if it's not about kids, if it's about just being able to work physical activity into their day or taking some mental timeouts, um, there's an integration of our lives right now that we don't have when we're driving into an office every day. Um, or for myself when I'm traveling all of the time, you know, and, um, and so I think two ways, it's like giving space for that and modeling that it's okay that you are kind of empowering yourself to integrate your work in your life. And, um, so it's giving the grace and the space to do that, but also modeling and doing it themselves. Um, I think it says a lot when you're on a video chat with your boss or your manager and their kids come in the room. You know, and it reminds you like we are both people and we're we're dealing with the same challenges right now. And it, it bonds you in a way that that I don't think it, it can before or has before. Um, and I think, too, the other thing that I really hope stays or maintains post all or after all of this is the fact that we're prioritizing our own well-being. Um, 
I don't know about you, but I, I get so many phone calls and texts where people are like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? What are you doing today to, to take care of Shelby? Um, and it's forced me to think about my own health and my own mindset in a way I never have before. Um, and it's, I, I just hope that like when we're all back to like our regular lives, that that sticks with us and that leaders are encouraging their teams to, to keep doing that too. It's the opposite of that Facebook phenomenon where everyone's best life is um, being showcased and then you know, the chaos of behind the scenes is, is kind of glossed over. Yeah. I feel like we're actually kind of using some of that chaos since everyone is, is exploring in real time that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point, Eric, especially it's like superintendents and school leaders who are often like, there's such a very visible, formal, um, like, type of leader, you know, and I think because of that, they feel this pressure to always be on and always have like a very formal, like they're in the suit, they're in the place that they need to be, they're saying all of the right things. Um, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for for school leaders to be that. Um, and I think in a time like this, though, it requires a balance of like, yes, strength in that way, but also kind of humility and sensitivity where they can say things like, I don't know what next week is going to look like, but I know that today we're making this decision and this is what's best for, for our community. But I'm going to keep you updated as we all figure this out together. I think we're going to leave it there. Shelby, cool. thank you so much for being on our podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Right. I appreciate it. That was Shelby McIntosh, Managing Partner with Education Elements. Ed Elements has been offering content for education leaders throughout the pandemic. Check out their website for a complete list of their offerings. And for more on trauma-informed leadership, tune into their webinar on May 21st. Look under the COVID-19 tab at edelements.com. We thank all of you for tuning in to the TASA Inspiring Leaders podcast. Special thanks goes to AHA Process, Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas, and of course, Education Elements, whose support made this episode possible. Until next time, from all of us here at TASA World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.